you are the common denominator. And as the end of the day, that's brilliant because it empowers you. It takes the ownership back and go, well, actually, it's my thinking. It's my mindset that's been the problem. If I can get my mindset right and I can deal with my self-sabotage and I'm not pressing the fuck it button and I'm resetting when I do. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high-performance mind, body and lifestyle. Happy New Year. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I personally welcome the time to have some time off with my family and friends and we were fortunate enough here in the UK not to have restrictions which was quite nice so we could actually catch up with friends and family which we weren't really able to do last year so I hope that wherever you are in the world you did have a very happy Christmas and looking ahead now into 2022 it's so exciting. I have so many cool podcast episodes lined up for you guys. Um, Very, very cool guests coming on the show this year. And we're going to start it off to a very good start with a returning guest. It is Brian Keane. He is back on the show today. He was hugely popular last time. Um, He is such a renowned expert in all things mindset and also fat loss. So if you are looking to lose um, weight this year, I don't really like to talk about weight loss because really what we want is to have more muscle and lose body fat but Brian is your guy he is also as I say amazing in terms of mindset so we'll be diving into that in a moment but if you are thinking about fat loss this year then there's a couple of different tools I think can really help you and help me and one of those things that you want to do is really to get your blood sugar balanced it will really upgrade your energy levels as well but as you've probably heard me talk about before, it's very difficult to burn fat in the presence of insulin. So if your blood sugar is all over the place and you're getting a lot of insulin released, not only does that um, lead to a higher probability of you developing insulin resistance, but it also makes it much harder to burn fat. So one of the things that you can do, in fact, two things that are very cool and will help you in this regard is firstly to actually develop awareness around what your blood sugar is doing and how the foods you eat affect you you. And the best way that I've found to do this is actually to wear a continuous blood glucose monitor and gather insights and really track the foods that you're eating and what's happening. But also importantly, look at your sleep, which affects blood sugar balance and also your stress levels. And you can do that with a very simple device called Very. Um, If you haven't listened to the podcast that I did with the founder of Very, then I recommend you go back and listen to that episode. But you will learn all about how you can really track your blood sugar. And it's so super easy to do. You literally just pop it into your arm. It sits there for two weeks. It's completely painless. And then you just scan on your phone and you can get live updates as to what your blood sugar is doing. Personally, I find the insights invaluable. And you can get 20% off Very by going to this special link that they have given listeners. And that is bit.ly forward slash get very 20. That's bit.ly forward slash get very 20. That's G-E-T-V-E-R-I 20. And that will automatically give you 20% off their continuous blood glucose monitors. And if you do find that your blood sugar is a bit high, particularly after eating higher carb meals, then what I would recommend that you do is maybe cut down the portion size, make sure you're really focusing on whole food carbs that have fiber, which slow down the release. Um, 
And also that you don't do what's called eating unopposed carbs. So when you have carbs alongside protein or fat, that's actually really going to moderate the blood sugar response, keep your energy more stable, and also um, moderate the release of glucose into the blood. But if you are having a bit of an indulgence um, at times and you want to really optimize your blood sugar, then one of my favorite products for this is a product known as Blood Sugar Breakthrough by my friends over at Optimizer. Um, I absolutely love their magnesium. As you know, I'm a huge fan of that. And I love their new product, Blood Sugar Breakthrough. I've tested it with a CGM and I've actually seen that when I eat the same foods that do raise my blood sugar, like my my little addiction to sourdough, um, I found that actually when I use Blood Sugar Breakthrough, it moderates that glucose response. And that's because it has glucose disposal agents in it, which can really help with that. So it's got things like R-alpha lipoic acid, um, and it's also got some inulin, some bitter melon extract, and it also has some bee propolis as well, among other things. And again, you can get a discount off Bioptimizers products by going to um, bioptimizers.com forward slash Angela and entering code Angela 10 at checkout. So that's bioptimizers.com forward slash Angela. Just enter code Angela 10 at checkout. And I think both of those will serve you well. But today we're going to be talking about other ways that you can really enhance fat loss what the right workouts are, why running doesn't actually give you the body composition results that you're looking for. And importantly, we're going to be talking about mindset and the difference between discipline and motivation and why you really want to be installing good habits and good discipline to help you get success, but why your why is actually the thing and your self-identity, the two things that are so important in terms of getting results and why both Brian and I agree that you should be looking at lifestyle over any kind of fad diets, which really often lead to lowered, adhe- lowered adhesion, adherence over the long term and also lesser results. And you'll be hearing about the science behind all of that as well. Brian has a fantastic new book that has just landed and released called The Keen Edge. This is his third book. I'm absolutely certain it's going to be another bestseller. He's an amazing author and you can go and pick that up on Amazon and all um, different bookshops as well. That's The Keen Edge. And we're going to be diving into some of the chapters from that book today. So without further delay, let me now introduce you once again to the lovely Brian Keane. So I am so excited this morning to be joined by Brian Keane. He has a brand new book out, his third about to be best-selling book, I believe, The Keen Edge, Mastering the Mindset for Real Lasting Fat Loss. He's a second time guest on the show, hugely popular last time. Um, First of all, a massive, massive welcome, Brian. So great to have you here. I'm so grateful to be back. Thanks so much for having me on. Again, we had an awesome round one. So uh, let's try and keep the bar high for round two. I know that was that was one of my favorites from last year. So fingers crossed we do as good a job this time. I have no doubt that we will. I'm so excited about it. So I guess the first place, people love your mindset. They really do. They were talking about it. it had so many um, reviews and messages from listeners. Um, let's start with motivation and discipline because I think it's January everyone is thinking I've got to get motivated why can't I get my ass out of bed and go for that run or do what I need to do can you explain first of all the difference between motivation and discipline what they are and why they're important yeah it, there's a couple of misconceptions around both and I opened the book talking about baking a cake and how losing weight and losing body fat's a lot like baking a cake that you need to in order to bake a cake you need to know what the 
ingredients, but you also have to do things in a specific order. And weight loss and fat loss is very similar. And discipline is one of those ingredients that is needed for fat loss success or body compositional change in general. But I don't talk about discipline like, a, you know, get up at 5am and get into the gym or, you know, prepare all your meals and don't go off plan. When I talk about discipline, I'm talking about consistently doing things that will support you with whatever goal it is you're looking to do in this case, weight loss or fat loss. And motivation is one of those misconceptions. I call it the myth of motivation. I have a couple of chapters in the book that are very kind of popular around this mindset side. One is motivation and relying on that for progress is a very poor way to lose body fat and change your body composition. You know, again, short, I call motivation horseshit in the book. Like it's, it's not, it doesn't help. It feels great when it comes, but it doesn't actually help get you to an end goal. And I use two examples that kind of jumped out at people. I've sent the book for early review for people. And both came back with the exact same line. They're like, oh my God, motivation. I've done this where January comes and they go kind of hell for leather. So they make too many changes too soon, which is a recipe for failure for most people from the get-go. But also they don't realize that there's myths around motivation that's very unsupportive for a lot of people when it comes to a weight loss or a body compositional change journey. And that is that they think they need to feel motivated all the time and motivated motivation. You know, this Angela better than anybody is just a state change. It's literally yeah. the way you feel and relying on that to get anything done. The analogy I use in the book is like, if you're out sailing, the wind is motivation. It's something that comes and goes, but there's no guarantee that you're going to get it. Whereas your habits and your daily routines are, you know, the, the paddling with the oars, like that helps you get to your end destination faster. And I speak about things like Christmas, you know, just off the back of Christmas, you know, Santa Claus being a great one, or for those who don't celebrate Christmas, your birthday, I'm like, you know, every single year, 25th of December, 24th of December, you know, my daughter's six years old. So Santa Claus is coming on the 24th of December, bringing presents. It happens every year consistently, bang, bang, bang. Same as your birthday. If you don't celebrate Christmas, motivation is not like that. Motivation comes and goes, it ebbs and flows. Some days you feel motivated and you're, excited to get out of bed and go to the gym and work out or go for a run. And there's days when you don't feel like that. And that's why a lot of people fall down with their dietary success or their weight loss or fat loss journey is because they don't realize that it doesn't matter what you do on the days you feel motivated. It doesn't matter what you do on the days that you don't feel motivated. It matters what you do consistently over time. Mm. That's going to lead to your end result. And discipline is basically just building those daily habits. And if you're on a weight loss journey or a fat loss journey now off the back of Christmas, and I have a very controversial, I won't say controversial, mainstream media controversial opinion when it comes to what to do in January to lose weight. And I'm very curious because I've been doing a lot of book promotion stuff in December for mainstream media. So papers, radio, uh, television stuff that's been banked for the new year. And people are like, well, what's the best thing to do to lose weight in the new year? They're like, well, should we cook carbs? You know, should we join the gym? And I'm like, just go back doing what you did before Christmas. I was like, by the middle of the month, all your weight will have fallen off. <laughs> like, you know, and, and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, look, most of the weight you put on over Christmas, you're talking two weeks out of a 52 week year. You're talking less than 4% of the year. I was like, there's only so much damage you can do if you did nothing but eat and drink consistently for two weeks. Mm. And a lot of that waste that's gone up is water retention, 
it's inflammation, it's from too much salt, processed foods, carbohydrate intake. If you just went back eating the way that you normally do, we're recording this on the 5th of January, you know, even if it's a week later when people are listening to this, by the middle of the month, third week of January, if you went back eating the way you normally did and back training the way you normally did, whether that's the gym three times a week or going for evening walks, all that weight will fall off for the most part by the middle and third week of January. And I think people forget that because it's so easy to press the panic button or what I call like the fuck it button. We press the fuck it button and go, oh my God, I've eaten way too much at Christmas. What am I going to do? And then they join the gym and they're going from zero days a week to five, six, seven days a week. You're going from not focusing on any food choice and eating, you know, boxes of celebrations for breakfast, quality street for me for breakfast to salad three times a day. And that's unsustainable for anybody. It's one, you don't need to do it to, to lose weight. It's a thinking, it's a broken th thought process of your mindset of just pressing the fuck it button because you've overindulged for a couple of weeks. And the problem with that thinking is it translates to the rest of the year. Like I didn't write a book. This isn't a diet book for January. It's a book for people who are looking to fix their mindset when it comes to nutrition and it comes to that diet mentality that I call it, where you, you restrict and overindulge and then you restrict because you can't stick to it. And then you feel bad about yourself and you self-sabotage and press the fucker button again. And then you overindulge again at the weekend. And that happens as fast in the middle of April or the middle of May as it does in January. It's just that this is kind of the time of the year that epitomizes the whole thing. So when you've had a lack of dietary success, what I tell people, and I open the book with this is what's been the common denominator over the last several years when it comes to not being able to hit your weight loss goal or your fat loss goal or your body compositional goal. And it puts the ownership back on people. I said, look, there's loads of diets you might've done. Yeah. They might've been a problem. There's training programs you followed that you didn't enjoy. Yeah. That probably was a contributing factor. But what was the common denominator in all of these things that didn't work for you when it came to trying to hit your goal? And you are the common denominator. And as at the end of the day, that's brilliant because it empowers you. It takes the ownership back and go, well, actually, it's my thinking. It's my mindset that's been the problem. If I can get my mindset right and I can deal with my self-sabotage and I'm not pressing the fuck it button and I'm resetting when I do and I'm learning that there's certain foods out there that will work better for my body. And there's certain approaches that will work better for my body. You know, I know you talk about intermittent fasting, ketogenic diet for, for optimizing performance. The, every diet out there will potentially work for you if you stick to it consistently. Mm. And That's I wanted awesome. to write a book. Yeah, you know this, Angela, better than mm. anybody. I wanted to write a book that, one that hadn't been written because and I've read loads of diet books and nutrition books. You know, I know you're the same with biohacking books. Like we, 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 are, we love the craft and consuming information, but they're all tactics and they're all tools. And my question and my thought process when I started writing the book 18 months ago was, well, why can't people stick to their diet? I'm like, it's not that intermittent fasting is better or worse. It's not the ketogenic diet is better than worse. They're, they're great strategies for certain people. It's not that counting your calories is better or worse for fat loss. It's not that, you know, if it fits your macros is a great approach. They all work, but why can't you stick to it? And that's when I kind of dived into it. And that's kind of where the idea came from. And when it comes to discipline and motivation, the foundation pyramid or the bedrock of that philosophy is it's not about what you do the days you feel motivated. It's about what you do consistently every day. Tell me what you do every day and I'll tell you where you'll be in a year and taking that kind of thesis all the way through so that you can find what kind of dietary approach potentially works for you so that you can actually lose body fat. You can actually build lean muscle tissue. You can actually change your body composition, whatever your goal is, and you can do it consistently over time and you can replicate it because you've got the bedrock ingredients needed for your mindset, your discipline, not relying on motivation, et cetera.
as opposed to just following this diet for X amount of weeks and then falling off track and going back to eating quote unquote the way you always did, which hasn't worked for you so far. And you know, if you've been dieting half your adult life, I tell people you're doing it wrong. You shouldn't be doing something mm. for half your adult life. If you were and it was working, it would be working. If you are and it isn't working, you've got feedback that needs to change. So you're then tapping into things like failure as feedback, using what hasn't worked in the past to help you move forward in whatever it is you're looking to do, but in this context, fat loss, weight loss, body compositional change, and then just getting everything lined up, all your ducks in a row from the mindset standpoint, and then making any nutritional plan or diet work for you potentially based on what you're looking to do. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And as Einstein says, it's a kind of repeating the same thing again and again is insanity, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the point you make about consistency there is so clear, is so profound because I always say to people, consistency beats intensity and understand that when you're doing a crash diet, that's intensity. But if you are repeating that again and again, you're consistently like a boom bust economy of dieting, then gaining, then dieting, then gaining, and it makes it harder and harder. And I also think people forget that when you do an intense diet, you are definitely going to lose muscle mass at the same time as losing body fat. Now you have screwed your metabolism. And so it's going to be so much harder because what you're going to gain back is probably more fat. And, and actually the scientific evidence, I think there's something like the results show that you gain 11 pounds. The average dieter gains 11 pounds of fat back when they stop dieting, which is a shame. Um, and also not great for their health and everything else. When we talk about the consistency, right? Because this is a really important point. And I think I love um, Stephen Pressfield, actually, when he talks about turning pro, right? The difference between a pro and an amateur is that they commit and they show up and they do it anyway, right? They don't wait for motivation. Your professional footballer doesn't wait to feel motivated to go to a team practice, right? They've got to go anyway. How do you think people can overcome that? Because like today, 5th of January, it's a beautiful sunny day here in the UK, right? It just lends itself to going for that run, feeling in a good mood. Motivation is going to be high and it's January, which makes it even easier. But then what about when it's we're back in February, it's pouring with rain or there's snow outside. It feels horrible. Gyms sometimes have been closed recently. How can you help people to develop the empowering mindset that they're going to do it even when they don't feel like it because they understand the importance of consistency? Well, there's a couple of approaches for that. It's a great question, Angela, because the answer is when you can follow, and this has always been the goal of clients I've worked with over the years, and it's kind of the the, the premise of the book as well. If you can find a nutritional plan that doesn't feel like a diet, that's normally the starting point on which a lot of people can have success, but whatever plan they decide to do. And, you know, one of the approaches to that is, is my the whole theory around nutrition is if you can find a plan that includes foods that you enjoy, that in alignment with your goals and works into your lifestyle and schedule, you're going to have massive dietary success, whether that's counting calories, clean eating, intermittent fasting, ketogenic diets, insert nutritional strategy here. There's hundreds that could potentially work for people. But if you can hit those three things, is there foods that you enjoy so you don't feel like you're restrictive? That's going to help a lot. Not eliminating your favorite foods. Like one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to nutrition is the random elimination of entire foods or food groups for no context, contextual reason. Like, you know, I break down in the uh, second section of the book with nutrition. I go through things like gluten and dairy um, MSG, trans fats, all of these things. And I talk, tell you through what you need to know in terms of the pros and the cons. And, you know, gluten is my big one. You know, we, we, we're slightly different on this because both of me and you are very kind of high performers. And I know listeners to this podcast are similar versus my audience per se on my podcast who are more body compositional fat loss, body compositional change. 
we'll remove maybe things like gluten and dairy because we know that we don't perform as well if we include those foods. Me particularly, I get quite brain foggy with those foods. So we have slightly different goals. But I have a huge pet peeve of people who eliminate gluten for no random reason when it comes to a fat loss plan. I'm like, why? You know, somebody, well, you know, gluten's bad for you. I'm like, you, you just replaced your normal cookies with gluten-free cookies. Those, the sugar content's way higher than the ones you bought. <laughs> and they fucking cost four times more. I was like, there was no reason. So that the context matters. So when it comes to nutrition, I think if you don't have the context of the individual, it's really important to be able to navigate through some of the noise that's online, social media, et cetera. When people are like one size fits all, this is the same for everybody. As you said there, there's so many different things to consider. And when it comes to making it fit for you and getting people on track so that whether it's raining on a February morning or it's a beautiful sunny day in a January and you're feeling great and motivated after the back of, you know, overindulging for a couple of weeks at Christmas, it's not about those days. It's about finding something that doesn't really feel like a diet for you. And exercise kind of goes hand in hand with that. Like I'm a big believer, particularly for fat loss and weight loss. This is different for ultramarathon runners. I run ultramarathons or athletes where your training program is very specific to what you're looking to improve in terms of your sport. But for those who just want to look better and feel better, try and find exercise that you enjoy. If you can find a nutritional plan that doesn't feel like a diet, but it's still in alignment with your goals, with foods you enjoy, alongside some form of exercise regimen that doesn't feel like an exercise regimen. You know, examples I use here is if you like, you know, if you don't like to run, try cycling. If you don't like cycling, try swimming. If you don't like swimming and you like team sports, play five-a-side basketball or five-a-side football. There's loads of different ways to potentially exercise and move more. All of these things that will support your body's ability to burn more calories. Like that's effectively fat loss 101 is actually a very straightforward process. Now, the application is hard. Like fat loss 101, we talked about this a little bit in the first podcast, is you're trying to consume less calories than your body needs so that you can tap into stored fat for fuel. That's a calorie deficit in a nutshell. So like you're taking that stored fat in your body and you're burning that for fuel. Any exercise you do, step counts, moving more, going for a hike, going for a run, going to the gym, that supports your body's ability to burn more calories, which can support your deficit. So if you have a nutritional plan that's keeping you fueled, keeping you energized, and you have an exercise regimen that doesn't feel like an exercise regimen, that's a massive stepping stone when it comes to what you do on a February morning when it's raining and dark and dreary outside. Because you have a plan that doesn't feel like a diet. So it's kind of just automatically the way that you eat for the most part. Now it takes a little bit of trial and error to get there. Obviously, either working with a coach or doing it yourself or reading the books or listening to the podcast to educate yourself on, you know, these foods work for me. This is the kind of strategy I want to follow with my nutrition. And here's an exercise regimen that kind of lends to that. And you put those two things together. And then it's not a case of how do you feel determining what you do? You know, one of my mentors used to always say to me, I talked about this in the first episode that, you know, successful people do what they have to do regardless of how they feel. It's very similar to the Stephen Pressfield turning pro. It's not about what you do on the days when you don't feel motivated. It's about what you do consistently over time. Tell me what you eat every day and I'll tell you how you'll look in a year. Tell me how you work out every day and I'll tell you how fit you'll be in a year. You're using this to kind of decide on what could potentially work for me in the long term. And if you can do those two things, and then rewire whatever it is you need to around your food. You know, one of the most unsupported belief systems that 
most people I've worked with have is that, you know, separating food into good and bad categories, like just not a helpful approach when it comes to weight loss for the majority of people. Like I tell people, and it's in the book, it's in one of the like roundup takeaway sections that food has no morals. I'm like, piece of broccoli is not going to save you from a burning building and a chocolate bar is not going to stab you down a back alley. Like they're not, they're not good or bad. Context matters. Like is chocolate high calorie and low nutrient? Yeah. It's not going to be ideal compared to a head of broccoli, but within a calorie control plan for someone looking to lose weight or looking to lose body fat, that being their primary goal. And if having a chocolate bar or a beer or a packet of crisps or whatever it is every day is the thing that allows you to stay on plan, then that's what you do. That's going to be very supportive in this context. So that's where it really depends on how you apply things. And the all or nothing mindset and that restrictive mindset that can come in January, particularly off the back of overindulging at Christmas, isn't very helpful. And I there's a lot of downsides that can come from it. You know, I, I put up a post on Instagram last week or last week, a couple of days ago, where people have what I call in the book, the last supper mentality, where they decide, well, I'm going on a diet on Monday. I need to eat all the sweet food in the house before then. And just clear. You know, the analogy I use is, is it's like, you know, chopping off one of your legs before you run a marathon. Like I was like, yeah, you might hit the finish line, but I'd rather run a marathon with two legs. If, if you give me the option and a last supper approach when it comes to diet is exactly the same where you try and clear out your cupboards before you start a diet. And I've told every single client who's ever said this to me for the last, Oh, I've been saying this for at least four years or five years with my clients where when I start put people into a group, I'll normally always have one or two, not so much now because I've talked about it on so many podcasts and so many episodes and content where people will put up a picture of, you know, a couple of tubs of Ben and Jerry's or a takeaway. And they're like, all right, you know, getting my favorite foods in now, or they'll clear out all the cup, the, the chocolate in the cupboards. And I ask them every time I'm like, okay, where's the food going on Monday? I'm like, have McDonald's closed? Do they not sell McDonald's anymore? Cause you've decided you want to lose weight. I was like, are all the chocolates and cookies gone from your local food shop because you've decided you want to lose weight? I'm like, that doesn't happen. I was like, they're still going to be there. So it's about rewiring your mindset and relationship with those foods so that you don't have a negative issue with them. And that normally comes with not separating them into good and bad categories. Those foods aren't going away just because you decided you want to lose weight. So you just need to flip your relationship with them and realize that, yes, McDonald's three times a day, probably not going to be very beneficial when it comes to weight loss, but once every week or every two weeks, because you love that food can potentially help your adherence level to a nutritional plan overall. You know, I'm not a big fan of fast food, but I love chocolate. You know, I don't have a sweet tooth. I have sweet teeth, massive sweet tooth. And I, the thought of not having chocolate every day for me makes me not want to train makes me not want to work out, makes me not want to do anything. So I have to factor that into my plan, but I also don't eat 10 bears. Like I'll have a bear, maybe a bear and a half. If I'm feeling extremely hungry or really want to indulge in it. And I'll do that consistently. People ask me on my Instagram stories before Christmas, you know, are you going to overindulge at Christmas? And it was an interesting question because I'm sure a lot of fitness people online get that. And I replied at the answer that I got a lot of replies to DMs on was, I don't feel the need to overindulge. I was like, I don't restrict during the year. I was like, yeah. if I want to go and have Same a few, that. yeah, I was like, if I want to go and, yeah. yeah. And, and that's why like that overindulgence pressing the fuck it button because you've restricted massively. Think about what that's doing over time. Like it's just basic numbers game as well. Like I tell people, 
And I use money as a good example when it comes to kind of tracking calories and understanding even how that works. Like you don't need to track every morsel of food or calorie you eat, but just to have a basic understanding of it can be useful. And one example, and it comes in two forms generally, is the last supper mentality, which means that you eat way too much food before you start a diet, normally still means that you have too many calories consumed over the space of a week. The other side of this normally is a bit more February, March, outside of the new year, is where people will go Monday to Friday really restrictive, and then they overindulge at the weekend. Mm. And the analogy I use in the book is think about your money and your savings. Like if your goal is to lose fat and you're trying to get into a calorie deficit over the space of a week, it doesn't matter how good you are Monday to Friday. If you overindulge and consume way too many calories on Saturday or Sunday, the example I use is like, it's like trying to save money. If you're making, you know, a hundred euro a week or you're making, you know, um, 500 euro a week and you're trying to save money. If you save all of your money, Monday to Friday, and then blow a thousand euro at the weekend, you're still down 500 quid at the end of the week. The exactly. weekend. That, that's all that matters. And your calories are exactly the same. It doesn't matter if you've eaten so well and you were like, well, I had salad every day, Monday to Friday. It was the best salad ever. My calories are so low. And then you eat fucking 6,000 calories on a Saturday and a Sunday, and your calories are way too high at the end of the week. That's going to lead to fat gain, which is fine. As long as you know that's happening. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's, that's what's like, I'm, I have no issue. I, I'm probably like, the most hands-off person in the fitness industry when I'm not working with somebody. Cause I'm like, look, do what you want to do. I'm like, eat the way you want to eat, do what you want to do. I'm just giving you the knowledge and the education around it. So you know why it's happening so that you can then make a decision on whether you want to do it. Obviously it changes when I'm working with people directly, but generally on my content, I'm like, look, you'll see this regularly on my content. I'm like, look, do what you want to do, eat what you want to eat, but just, this is what's happening. Yeah, be aware. And I think people are unaware of that because I think I'm glad you brought it up because I think they think that actually, if you're looking at consistency and what I do most of the time, then what I do five days out of seven is more important. And therefore I can't just gain loads of fat and a binge over 24 hours. Yes, you can, because your body doesn't, it doesn't keep the bank balance the same every single day. It doesn't look at what's coming in, what's going out on a daily basis. It looks broader than that. It'll look at the week. It'll look at the month. And so if you've had these really super high calorie times, it's like the drinkers who like they do dry January, but then by February, it's so boring. <laughs> like now you're back to where you were. Nothing ever changed in your life from dry January, apart yeah. from maybe you had a bit of a detox. And then if you say, right, I don't drink from Monday to Friday at all, ever. That's it. I never, ever have a drink. Chances are you are going to drink more on a Saturday night now because you've been lacking it. Whereas some of the people that I know, certainly in that biohacking area, they'll have a glass of wine every day. But that's just because they have one glass, a bit like the chocolate. They don't go crazy because they don't need to. Because as you say, they haven't restricted. And I had some Christmas pudding, had some wine over Christmas. And I went and onto the Dave, local David Lloyd gym to see on the body tracks, have I changed? I'm just interested thinking, yeah, I'll put on. I was exactly the same. My body weight was the same. My body fat percentage was the same. I think I'd dropped a tiny bit of muscle from, from working out less. We're talking like micro amounts that you could say could have been water, anything else. And nothing massively changed, right? Because if you are fit and healthy all year, just a little bit of eating out of a pattern is never going to change your body composition. I think that's the, the biggest thing that you're saying is just be consistent, but don't restrict because you shouldn't be dieting. Yeah, 100%. It comes back to what I said earlier about if you've been dieting half your adult life, you're doing it wrong. Like if you've been dieting for the last year, now with the exception of somebody who's like clinically overweight or obese, you can put somebody like that into a deficit for an extended period of time because they have so much stores of fat on their body that they can continually use that for fuel. But for the majority of people listening who don't fall in that category, 
Like if you're dieting for six, 12 months, you're doing it wrong. Like Jesus Christ, like if you're doing something for that time, amount of time, it's not working if you haven't hit your end goal. So either there's a problem with your process, meaning that you're actually not doing something sustainable for you when your calories are going too high for whatever reason, because you're not being consistent, you're regularly pressing the fucking button and eating what you want and then restricting and going back on plan from Monday to Friday and having this cycle, or you haven't changed your goals. Like goals should change. Like I have a section in the book that I talk about switching up goals. Like if your goal was always fat loss, you would eventually die if you were doing it consistently. Mm. Like starvation mode's a real thing. I break that down in the book too because that's one of my biggest pet peeves in the fitness industry is people are like, your body's in starvation mode because you're not eating enough food. I'm like, that's not what's fucking happening. I was like, not a person in this world has put on weight from not eating enough food. I'm like, that doesn't happen. I was like, look at the people in the gulags and the concentration camps. I'm like, that's starvation mode. I'm like, mm. it's a legit thing. It's when your body doesn't have enough fuel, it's not coming in and your body's literally eating itself. That's not what's happened in the fitness industry. What's happening in the fitness industry is normally an adherence issue. Either people are, they're like, well, I, I get this. I'm not sure if you get this on your channel, Angela. I get it on mine. But people are like, I don't think I'm eating enough and that's why I'm putting on fat. I was like, that's not what's happening. I was like, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you that right now. That's not what's happening. They're like, no, but I'm in starvation mode. I'm like, no, you're not. I was like, no, you're not. I'm like, just, I was like, you're, you're 30 pounds overweight. You're not in starvation mode. Just FYI. I was like, just before we continue this conversation, I just need to let you know because that. Because people anchor, you know, this cognitive mm. bias, people anchor. I've had that with people actually talking about starvation mode. And to be honest, what I don't like, if you had starvation mode, there's a very, you can look at people in Africa that really genuinely are starving. And yes, there's truth that when your body's under so much stress, it is going to store a bit of fat around your organs and your lungs, right? Your back yeah. and you see them in pot belly because it's trying to protect itself, right? It believes it's under attack. The rest of you is wasting. As you say, you are literally catabolizing everything you have and you're breaking down muscle tissue because it's expensive. It burns calories. It's heavy to cool. It's heavy to carry. And it's not, it's messed. Their metabolisms will be messed up. An ordinary person is definitely not in starvation mode. Exactly. That again, just to build on your point, like starvation mode is a legit thing, as you said there, and you described it perfectly, but the majority of people in the Western world aren't in it, but they have the belief system that they are. And as a result, it's holding them back. So it's kind of breaking down that misconception, like starvation mode for the majority of people. If you're listening to this podcast and you've ever uttered the words, "Mm, I think I'm in starvation mode. It's likely one of two things is happening. One, you were, yes, consuming too little calories for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, maybe a month, maybe. And as a result, you can't stick to it. You had an adherence issue and you end up binging for a day or two, which normally automatically puts you out of that category now. But as a result, your calories are too high and your fat levels have gone up. That's primary case number one that happens. The other is you get a slowdown in metabolic rate. You talked about this earlier. It's a really good point, Angela. That metabolic rate, the, the analogy I use for people is if you increase your metabolic rate, it's like make, making money while you sleep. You know, we talked before we mm. jumped on the podcast, business stuff, like making money while you sleep. Your metabolic rate is your calorie burning equivalent of that. So if you can increase your metabolic rate, i.e. increase your metabolism, the most effective way to do that is to sleep and do resistance training for the most part. So again, no silver bullets, no pills, no teas. It's resistance training, which helps you. Basically how that works is you tear muscle fibers down by resistance, creating resistance on the muscle with weights, with your body weight, with TRX, with kettlebells, etc. 
cetera. And as a result, your, 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 the food you eat and the calories you consume goes towards repair and you get a, a spike in metabolism, a metabolic rate increases the results. And sleep is the same. If you're, you're optimizing sleep quality, your hormones and everything are going to be more likely to be balanced. You're going to have increased recovery. And as a result, metabolic rate goes up. So you're burning calories while you rest. I, I call it in the book. Um, it's the most clickbait title of all time, but it's, it, it's what caught in the first book. And I built on it in this third one was, you know, uh, burning fat while you watch TV, which is effectively what happens when yeah, you yeah. lift weights and do resistance training, you're burning calories at rest. And if you are somebody who's consuming way too little calories, and you can see that you're in quote unquote starvation mode, as I'm using inverted commas here for starvation mode, you can get a decrease in metabolic rate, which means that you burn less calories. You know, you talked about it there when people lose their muscle tissue, when they extreme diet, like that's one of the main issues of extreme dieting. It's literally the equivalent of digging a hole and then trying to get out of a hole, but you dig yourself deeper. Like that's what happens when you do an extreme diet to lose body fat because your metabolic rate goes down because you lose your lean muscle tissue. And as a result, you burn less calories while you rest. And because you're burning less calories while you rest, your body's ability to burn the fat that's on your body, it goes down as well. And it's what it can be perceived on the outside as, you know, a fat loss or weight loss stall, which technically is what's happening. It's not coming from a calorie intake. Generally, it's coming from a reduced metabolic rate because your lean muscle tissue has gone down. So the most effective and sustainable way to consistently lose weight over time that doesn't feel like as much effort is to do some form of resistance training in your training program, focus on your quality of sleep consistently, and then make good food choices that allow you to move more throughout the day. If you do that consistently, you're going to have a higher metabolic rate. You're going to burn more calories and you're going to change your body composition considerably fast versus what I call, you know, the, the, the dieting approach, the diet paradox, which is you think that you need to diet, quote unquote, diet to lose weight. When in fact, when it decreases your metabolism, like I mentioned there, it works in the opposite way over time. Although it mm. might seem like you're losing weight initially. That's why it's important to track fat reduction versus weight loss because weight loss is reducing numbers on a scale. You reduce your lean muscle tissue, your weight, you're going to weigh less as well. You're, you're trying, that's not the goal. The goal is to reduce your levels of body fat. Unless you're overweight or obese, your goal should never be weight loss. It should be fat loss because they're two different things. Reducing fat is lowering the number of fat on your body, reducing the amount of fat in your body, lowering weight is reducing the numbers. When you step on a scale, I step on a scale of 50 kilos. I lose five kilos. I now weigh 45 kilos. So you've lost five kilos of weight. That might not be five kilos of body fat. You can lose that from glycogen, from carbohydrates. You can lose that from water by dehydrating yourself. You can lose that from lean muscle tissue. And that's what happens. It's what I call, as I said, the diet paradox where people think that they need to diet to lose weight when in fact, it's actually doing the opposite over time. And the goal is get a nutritional plan that works for you, focus on your sleep and do some form of resistance training. If you can, that's going to potentially help and you increase that metabolic rate and burn more calories over time and just doing that consistently. Yeah, I agree. And, and the resistance training, such a good point. That is where the money is. That is the gold, right? People think that they need to go and do loads and loads of cardio. In my experience, what I've found, like working with hundreds of people like yourself, is that actually walking, like doing, increasing your overall, what we call neat non-exercise active thermogenesis, moving more. And if you can get up to like 15,000 steps, you're just going to be burning fat all day. I always say to people, don't ask how to kind of lose weight. Just ask what a better question is, how do I know if I'm burning fat or storing fat? So now we need to get you to burn fat and then we need to raise your metabolic rate. And weight training is going to do that. What I see people commonly do is they get stuck. They've been doing this kind of boom bust diet thing where they diet, they binge. And then they're like doing these high 
high intensity classes, which is not true high intensity, right? True high intensity absolutely kills you because it's mm-hmm. all out. They're just vigorous exercise classes where they're j- constantly jumping up and down, swinging kettlebells, going on a box. And then they're like, well, one, one class like that doesn't work. Now I'm going to do two a day. Yeah. And actually now the body is really stressed and it's quite pro-inflammatory. And now it's resisting what you wanted to happen. And you're not doing what we call progressive overload, right? You can't track and go, okay, so in week one, when I started in January, I was lifting this weight. And now by the end of March, I'm doing this. There's no clear progression because every single workout you ever do is different. So how can you ever track what's going on? And you're kind of keeping the intensity so high and not sleeping enough that your body isn't really burning fat. It's kind of quite a high carb burner and you get hungry. I don't know if you've found that. Yeah, well, I, I, it's funny you say that because I have a section in the book that's definitely going to hurt a lot of people. So I apologize in advance where <laughs> I talk about people who just run and just do cardio. And as somebody, this is literally the section of the book where I talk about don't do what I do, do as I say, based on my specific goals. Because for people who follow me online and then read the book, they'd be like, but you run 50, 100 miles a week. I'm like, but I do ultra marathons. I was like, I run ultra marathons. I do ultra endurance events. My goal is in body composition and hasn't been body composition in the longest of time. My goal is performance and just overall training for a race generally. And I use an example in the book about marathon runners, like how many marathon runners have you seen Angela who are skinny fat? Like they're, mm-hmm. they're skinny fat where they're, they're skinny, but they've got a bit of a belly. Yeah. I'm like that. If, if cardio was the answer, that doesn't make any sense. But what's happening there is, and you touched on it already, is, is you're putting your body into the stress stage. Like it's cortisol. Like there's only, there's loads of hormones in the body, but the ones I talk about in the book are the ones that are important for weight loss. You know, I talk about ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone, understanding that, that your body's ability to feel full, which is their leptin hormone and how they kind of work together. But cortisol is another one I talk about in the book. And if your cortisol levels and stress levels are too high, cortisol is your stress hormone for anyone familiar with that. Your stress levels are too high. Your body's not going to be in a prime ability to be able to utilize fat for fuel. As you said, it's in an inflammatory state and it's not going to, your, your body's a basic survival mechanism. And if you're in a inflammatory state, you're not going to be able to build as much lean muscle tissue as you want. You're not going to be able to burn as much body fat as you want because your body's prioritizing other things. Normally it's trying to get back down to homeostasis. It's trying to reduce that cortisol in some way and running and doing excessive cardio does that. You know, I I linked one of the studies in the book. And again, I tried to use a lot of stories and anecdotes to break down some of the science. But one of the studies I used was the the biopsy that they used from the the marathon runners when they were testing uh, the, the, the metabolic rate through the biopsy. Really interesting study. I can't remember who it was from now, but I have a quote in the back of the book. And it happens with so many people that I've worked with who come off the back of running and that's all they do, excessive cardio. And they're like, why can't I lose body fat? You know, technically I'm in a calorie deficit. So they have half the puzzle. Like they're normally like, well, I'm in a deficit. I'm doing loads of cardio. But as you said, you're missing out on that resistance training and the impact on metabolic rate. And if there was only one shift, and this is particularly for females, I think from my experience anyway, Girls are brilliant with some things. Guys are brilliant with other things. Most of my guys tend to be a bit better with this where they'll do resistance training because guys lift weights, you get strong. It's kind of more of a, it's a thing guys do. Not all my females come in with that mindset. Some of them have, well, I'll get bulky or I'll get big or they'll have all these misconceptions around resistance training. I'm like, that's not how resistance training works. I'm like, Mm. one, in order to get massively big and bulky, you would need to have a genetic predisposition to doing that first and foremost. You would also probably have to jack up your calories and three, you'd have to do it consistently over time because there's just, you don't have the hormonal patterns that most men have when it comes to testosterone, et cetera, to be able to put on that amount of muscle in a short period of time. 
What generally happens when females do resistance training is they become more athletic looking or tone looking. They end up losing more body fat because their metabolic rate goes up and they end up feeling a lot better. And just structurally, they tend to be a lot better. So if you're someone who's going from that excessive cardio where you're running all the time or cross trainer all the time or those high intensity classes all the time, and your goal is fat loss and body compositional change, add in two or three resistance training workouts a week. You know, I've got ones in the book in the training section, compound lift based, deadlift based, military press, squat, focusing on your compound lifts and doing that two to three times a week will yield a massive amount of progress when it comes to your body compositional change and your body's ability to, you know, increase your metabolic rates, you burn more calories again, and you get that ball moving. Because think about it logically, Angela, you know this, if the answer was just to drop your calories or to move more or eat less, you would eventually hit a sticking point like where your body just won't mm. respond anymore. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Like, and that's what happens to people. You know, that's what happens. I've had loads of people I've worked with over the years who are like, well, I've dropped my calories. You know, my maintenance is 2000 calories. You know, I'm eating at 1300 now, but I can't go any lower. They're like, well, I could go to 12 and go to 11. I'm like, but you're eventually going to run out of calories. Mm. <laughs> like yeah. you're, well, you know? you're nudging there around your basal metabolic rate, right? Now, mm. when you start to do that, which is to, to um, basically look after your internal organs, you're going to, all the things that you don't want to happen, that get down-regulated are now going to happen. Your hair's going to fall out. Yep. Your skin's going to look pale and sallow. It, it, you're just not going to glow because it's got to, right? It's it's like you were saying with the money equation. I always use that one too, right? Because it can't spend money everywhere that it wants to and have you looking. But I think there's a big misconception around this I'll get big, right? Often people will say, oh, I danced as a child. So now my thighs are really big. No, 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 no. Because ballerinas don't look big, right? When they're training, they don't look big. They look small. Yes, they have a lot of muscle mass. However, that, that bigness you're seeing, I'm sorry if this offends anyone, that unfortunately is fat on top of muscle. When you lean out and you burn fat, you're going to look tight and lean and sexy and have those lovely curves, right? That's what I have noticed from training. But when I do, for example, like I went through a cardio stage at the beginning a year ago, actually this time last year, my body composition did change. I actually, it was stressing my body out and my body fat percentage was two or 3% higher than when I'm lifting weights and I'm walking and I'm just increasing overall movement and doing kind of zone two cardio coupled with a little bit of hit then kind of everything's easy and it just takes care of itself. And I think, don't be afraid to lift. I can't say that enough. I'm always getting people to strength train and it's sometimes it can be boring, but I always think, why can we connect with what you want? Like if body composition is not a goal, like you're saying, so you're training for endurance event, great, do whatever it is, right? Because you've connected with the thrill, the enjoyment, the performance that you get from the event. But if body composition is a goal to somebody, then understand that this is just the discipline of doing the work to get the result. Connect with the result and the identity of who you are. That will take you there rather than, oh, I can't be asked. I don't want to go. It's so boring when I lift weights. Well, put some music on, put a podcast on, yeah. listen to Brian. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the motivation element, you know, like yeah. if you need to put on a song to get motivated, to get up and go, if you need to listen to a podcast to get you motivated, to get up and go, then that's what you do. Like their tactics, that's motivation, tactical approaches to get into a motivated state, as opposed to relying on motivation like we talked about earlier, but you're spot on. Like why you do things are important. You know, that's why I talk about in the book about what I do versus what I recommend. Like if your goal, if you love to run, I'm like, I'm not going to be that dick of a trainer. who's like, don't run. I'm like, if you love to run, fucking run. Like you should, it's good. If you enjoy it, you should do it. Particularly something like that. That's going to make you feel good. Runners high endorphins, etc. The same with the resistance element. If you feel bored, 
with it initially. And there's a lot of people who will go, oh, and I get this too. Like when I used to do bodybuilding, like some of those workouts used to just blow my brains out with boredom where I'm like, oh my God, three sets of 10. Oh my God, four sets of 12. <laughs> like, but I would just, you know, my goal was to compete on a bodybuilding stage back when I used to do bodybuilding. And I just had to do those workouts. So I just had to upload my favorite songs. I put in some Eminem or Dre or whatever it was, Tupac that I was listening to. And that would help get me through. And it was a means to an end. Now it wasn't going to be sustainable. I can't train like that consistently because it bores me, but I can put up a podcast or I can put on some music to get going. So you need to ask yourself, if you're listening to this podcast, well, what's my goal? What do I want to do? Like, if I really want to focus on body composition and I want to give it six, 12, 20 weeks, whatever it is, six months to look my absolute best. What are the things I need to do? Who do I need to become? What would my target self do is what I ask in the book. I'm like, what would your target self do? Like if your target self would find a way to get motivated so they can change their state to go and lift those weights and do the resistance training, then that's what you do. You know, ask yourself, what would my target self do? I do this in other areas of my life with my relationship and with my business, but it works with weight loss and fat loss too. Like what would your target self do? If your target self would be more mindful of your food choices, then that's that's what you need to do. If your target self would do the resistance training, because, you know, I'm saying this and Angela's saying this and other people are saying the same thing. We're working off the science and anecdotes from years of working with people. Then that's what you do. You find a way to do what you have to do, regardless of how you feel. And you do that consistently, but it comes back to just asking, you know, what would my target self do? And then trying to step into that, you know, who, who do you have to become, you know, for the lack of a better phrase, you know, who do you have to become in order to hit your end goal? Like it's not, and once you do that, it becomes considerably easier considerably easier and when you connect with that right that is going to guide you because it's like you were talking about getting the food out of the house well are you never ever going to like be able to drive past mcdonald's and just skip it are you never going to be able to go to someone else's house and resist it because as soon as you change your identity you're priming that reticular activation system at the back of the brain which is now showing you different stuff just like when you want a new car suddenly everyone in the road has now got this new car and you didn't really notice it before now you're priming it. it's going to look for healthy food it's going to look for opportunities to train it actually doesn't filter in the stuff you don't want whereas if you say i mustn't eat those foods yeah, it's like saying the whole yeah. pink elephant anecdote right you're going to see a pink elephant. So that's what you see. And I think you're, you're so right there, spot on. You've got to prime your identity for what you want and know there's always a price. You know, when you go on holiday, you just think about the beach or the ski slope or whatever it is, the adventure that you're doing. You don't think about the airport, the queues, the now wearing a mask on a flight, everything else, like no holiday advert that ever showed you the work to get you there. You would just never book a trip. And it's kind of like that with any goal you want to achieve. It's like, how much do I really want this goal, first of all? Because if you don't really want it, then don't bother going doing all the hard work that you've got to do to get it, right? But if you really want it, then look at what price am I prepared to pay to get it? That's kind of how I approach it. Yeah, I love that. I love that approach. And you're, you're spot on. Like the acronym I use in the book is, you know, how can I win? You know, W-I-N, what's important now? Like if you feel that you're getting too stressed out by the thought of it, and, and I get this, you know, analysis by paralysis, like what you said, like if you thought about all the cost and effort and energy it would take, sometimes that can put you off. Now that can be good, Sometimes it's, it actually is the thing that goes, actually, my ladder's up against the wrong wall. I don't want to do this. You know, I actually don't want to lose all this weight. I actually quite like food. You know, if I can get down a couple of pounds without having to put too much effort in, that would be better. You know, you might decide that's what you want to do. 
But if you do get that analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis, where you overthink things, I have so much weight to lose, or I have so much workouts I need to do, or I have so much I need to do. Just focus on how can you win? You know, what's important now? If that's mm-hmm. getting out for a step count or going for your daily walk, that's what you do. If that's preparing meals so that you can have your lunch at work tomorrow and you're not reaching for, you know, a packet of crisps and some potato or a packet of crisps and a uh, a, a box of chocolates or a bar of chocolate at lunchtime, then that's what you do. You're focusing on what can I do right now that's going to potentially hit, help me hit my end goal. And if you do that more often than not, you don't even have to get it right 100% of the time. If you do it right more often than not, you will get to your end goal at some point. I can nearly guarantee that the timeline will be dependent on consistency, but you will get to your end goal as long as you consistently do things that potentially help you get there. Um, like again, I, it's the... I think it's Charlie Munger's quote. I love this book. I think I've recommended it to you on the last podcast that, you know, um, you step by step, we get ahead, but not necessarily in fast spurts, but by doing it step by step, you condition yourself to get ready for opportunities that do move you ahead quickly. Mm. And I think that's how weight loss is. That's how fat loss is. It's about consistently doing the right things. And then those days you feel motivated when you go for an extra two miles on your run, or you do an extra 20 minutes of cardio at the end of your workout, or you prepare extra meals for the week ahead because you feel super motivated. All of those things add up and you don't even need to get it right every single day. Nobody does. I don't, I don't know about you. I don't, I, I yeah. Don't, yeah, no, exactly. yeah, none of us do. None of us do. But if you can do it right more often than not, that will get you to your end goal as well. And I think taking that perspective can be useful because otherwise, otherwise we get caught up in the day to day. We get caught up in, you know, I fell off track with my nutrition this morning. So the, the example I normally have is, you know, someone on a Saturday morning when they'll go for a fry up or they'll have food that's off plan. And then they're like, oh, press the fuck it button and go, well, you know, I'll start back on Monday. You know, the analogy I use is it's like driving down the motorway and getting one flat tire and then slashing your other three tires because one went flat. That's effectively saying fuck it to the whole weekend because one meal was off plan. Like you go back on track, you reset and you go back on track for the next meal. You don't need to let one weekend or one bad meal turn into a whole weekend. You don't let one bad day turn into a week. You don't let one bad week turn into a month. You reset and you get back on plan again. And if you consistently do that, you'll get to the end goal over time. That much I can guarantee. Yeah, that is a guarantee. I love it. That's so important because if you go with the screw it, I blew it, you will blow it, right? But if you um, if you just say to yourself, okay, I skip one workout, I never skip twice. Or I had one bad meal, I never have two next, you know, back to back. You'll always then develop the consistency that we're talking about. It really isn't that hard, but you don't need to deny yourself. Like you were talking about gluten, it would be very sad for me if I was to remove gluten because I have a minor addiction to sourdough. And so I would <laughs> never be able to eat that. And I swear to God, if I was going to get fat, I don't have a sweet tooth, fortunately. It would be bread and butter. If I was ever going to get fat, that's how I would do it, right? Because I absolutely love it. But I think I don't deny myself. And so I don't have to think right now, I've got to go and eat the whole loaf. Do you know what I mean? Because so I think moderation, it's underrated, but it is key as well. You've got to be able to have fun, right? A hundred percent. Like particularly with something like weight loss or fat loss that I won't, say is complicated or not complicated because that's so relative based on the starting point of the person that's coming into it. But something that's not as life and death, and this sounds so weird as someone who's promoting a nutrition book, but something that's not as life or death as weight or fat loss 
it's important to have a little bit of moderation and a bit of a balance with it. Like if you're talking a life death scenario, yeah, the extreme approach can be better. It's literally the difference between living and dying. But with something like fat loss or weight loss, that if you take a step back from it and go, well, yes, it will have all these positive benefits potentially, you know, a mistake a lot of people make when it comes to setting goals or why they want to lose weight. You know, I talk about asking why three times in the book that the importance of knowing why you want to lose weight is important because there's a big difference between I want to lose weight because, you know, I've got weight to lose versus I want to lose weight so that I can feel more confident so I can wear a dress that makes me feel sexy so that I can hold myself higher when I walk into a room. Big fucking difference when you, you get to the mindset of where someone's coming at with a weight loss journey. You know, the same as someone who comes and says, I need to lose weight or I want to be fitter and healthier to play with my kids or play with my uh, nieces or nephews or whoever it is. Like they're, they're strong motivating factors for change. And there, if you don't know why you're doing something in the first place, particularly something like weight loss and fat loss, which is a quote unquote nice to have, like let's call a spade a spade. Unless you're clinically overweight or obese where your negative, your life quality is massively impacted by the amount of weight you have in your body for 80% of the population, it's a quote unquote nice to have. And nice to haves are fine. It means that your life doesn't end if you don't get it. But if you do want it, you need to know why and whether that's to feel more confident so that you can, you know, talk to people who you're attracted to or be fitter and healthier to play with kids or your niece or your nephew or whoever it is. Like they're strong motivating factors for change and they're anchors. And if you have that anchor, when you wake up in the middle of February on a wet day, when you don't feel like going for a walk or going to the gym, or you, you might just have that you know, bagel and loaded up with Nutella and chocolate in the morning. If you have a stronger anchor, a reason for why you're not making that poor food choice or unsupported food choice in that moment or skipping that workout, that can be the thing that separates you. And I think it's really important to have that because one of the common trends, you know, failure, lead, you know, I, I've been a long-term subscriber of success leaves clues. You know, I listen to your podcast, all the high performers, success leaves clues, but failure leaves clues just as well. There's mm. so many people who will have the, the graveyard of failures when it comes to weight loss. And one of them is them not knowing why they were there in the first place. Why did they not why do they want to lose weight? Why do they want to reduce body fat? Like if you don't know why you're doing something, particularly something like a nice to have like weight loss or fat loss, and it's not playing it down. Of course, there's representations and people normally uh, talk about the way it internally makes them feel like that's the problem with weight loss and fat loss. Like all you're do trying to do is change an internal representation of the identity of who you are based on how you think you'll feel if you look a certain way. And once you know that, that's cool, but you need to know What's the reason for this? Otherwise, you just eat what you want and you'll train when you want to train. Random training and random eating equals random results. So you need to know on the front end why you're doing it. And I think a call to action for people who have a body compositional goal, weight loss or fat loss, why do you want to do it? And just keep asking why until you know, because at least if you have that anchor, that can motivate you on those days when you're not feeling quote unquote motivated and can get you to do the thing you have to do regardless of how you feel. A hundred percent. That why is so, so important because otherwise you are going to slip in the diet in the diet category anyway, because if you just do it for a holiday, but why is it so important for you? I would ask that question. Why is it so important that you look good on holiday? Because what you're taking your clothes off, but what about the rest of the time? Your clothes, as you say, hang better, your posture's better. You look stronger. You show up differently. Why would you not want to show up as your best self 12 months of the year? Why does it have to be for the holiday? And then you forget it, you lose it because you haven't got a strong enough why in that situation. 
So you can't hold yourself accountable. But I love the win. I'm going to use that now. What's important now? I That's love my that. go-to. That's I what everyone. I do day to day. That's my. It's amazing. <laughs> it's going up on my wall. Win. <laughs> Look out for my post next week. I'll be sharing it uh, when we share the podcast. Before you go, uh, one bit we didn't touch on because this is really important. I always say to people, sleep is the foundation of everything. It's also so important for burning fat. Uh, do you want to just touch on sleep before you go? Because that's a really important piece in the book as well. Yeah, it is. And I have a full chapter in the book on sleep because I've done a complete 180 on sleep in the last probably three or four years because I was a, and this was personally and with clients, a sleep being a necessary evil. I'm like, oh, fuck it. It's just something I have to do. And I've done a complete 180 on it when it comes to performance in general and how important it is for overall performance and optimizing performance in your everyday day-to-day schedule and whatever it is you're looking to do. But also when it comes to body compositional change, I was always the coach. And embarrassingly, when I think back of my time, you know, 10, eight to 10 years ago, when I first qualified first as a trainer, I was a nutrition first. Thankfully, I at least had that training second, bit of a gap, sleep and supplements down here at the bottom. And over the last four or five years, I now have sleep up there, probably on par with nutrition. It's so important mm. when it comes to weight loss and fat loss. And for a whole host of reasons, you know, the, the primary ones being that the regulation of hormones that I said, um, ghrelin, leptin that I talked on earlier, like those two hormones become downregulated if you're sleeping poor, which means that your leptin means that you, you, you're eating, but you're not feeling full and your ghrelin is overramped so you're feeling hungry all the time and for me a, a, a food trigger a sleep trigger for me if i have a poor night's sleep and most people can attest to some variation of this or version of this for themselves it's very hard to stick to your nutritional plan when you've had a really poor night's sleep because you're normally craving foods that you wouldn't normally crave you're normally craving foods that aren't necessarily that supportive on a nutritional plan for me it's carby stuff sugary stuff caffeinated stuff yeah, which, then, which, which then ruins my sleep for that night because i end up consuming way too many stimulants and then it has this negative uh, feedback loop where you know you, you've had a poor night's sleep you've made poor food choices you might have had too many stimulants which leads to being in your system too late in the day which leads to another poor night's sleep and then you have this negative feedback loop which is very easy to fall down again I, i've fallen down that rabbit hole myself a couple of times and i think when it comes to elevating its importance on a weight loss journey if you can tie it closer to nutrition because most people listening to this podcast especially listening to this podcast because of all the nutrition that you talk about angela as well and people who are familiar with me we know how much emphasis we put on nutrition and how important it is for performance and body composition in the context of this conversation but with sleep it needs to be up there side by side in terms of importance. And if you haven't been prioritizing your sleep, that's something that I would do now. It's, I won't say a low hanging fruit because as someone who's been a notoriously poor sleeper for most of my life, thankfully much better in the last couple of years, with some different techniques that I use, different supplements, different strategies that I have before bed. I talk about most of them in the book in terms of what I do and, you know, I can go through them as needed, but it's, flipping that thought and that conversation that if you're not focusing on sleep right now and you're thinking you're doing everything else, you think your nutrition is right. You think your training is right. You think your stress levels are managed. If you're not sleeping, they're probably not, but your sleep isn't good. That needs to become the, the, the focus of priority right now. And you know, it's pyramid of prioritization. What's the thing you need to do right now. It's going to get you the most results when it comes to your weight loss and fat loss. For me, 80% of people is nutrition based or mindset based around nutrition, but there are 
10, 5, 10, 15, 20% of people where it'll be something else. It'll be the training we, we touched on earlier, the resistance training and increasing your metabolic rate. For others, it's going to be your their stress management and managing their cortisol and stress in general. And then for the other portion of the population, it's going to be getting that sleep. So ask yourself now, What's the thing I need to focus on that's going to yield the most results for me? If that's your, your nutrition and your mindset in general, then that's what you do. If it's training and you focus on your resistance training, if it's stress, you look at your stress management techniques, or if it's sleep-based, you focus on focusing on that high quality sleep and doing the things that are going to enhance your sleep quality at nighttime. You know, the basics, reducing stimulant intake later in the day, blocking out blue light as much as possible, journaling or having something that gets the anxiety or thoughts out of your head, looking at certain supplements that can potentially help it, not eating too close to bed or eating closer to bed based on your you know genetic makeup and what helps you have a testing out what improves your sleep quality at nighttime and these are the tactics that you can test and if they work you double down on them so i would open up that conversation for people to think about just in case they're not as somebody that didn't professionally 10 years ago it wasn't a conversation i was having with clients where it's something now will be the first like literally when i have somebody working with me on a program in every questionnaire i have sleep quality and i need that information in order to be able to help somebody with their nutrition, their training, their lifestyle in general, because if their sleep is really poor, we end up missing this massive chunk of information that could potentially help somebody with their success, with the weight loss or fat loss or body compositional journey. So elevating that conversation, getting people to think about it is important as well when it comes to body compositional change. Massive, massive. Oh, the sleep is the foundation of my programs and my book. It's the same because you can literally sleep yourself thin. And I think people overestimate that ghrelin goes up, as you say, leptin goes down in terms of satiety. Mm -hmm. But also when you're sleeping, right, adenopectin's going up, you're burning more fat while you sleep and you're producing more growth hormone, which is supporting your muscle mass. But I think that um, people overestimate how many calories they might burn by being up. And when, when they've done studies of keeping people up all night, they burn like about 150 extra calories. That's like a banana. <laughs> it's not a license to yeah, go. Yeah, and, and you're normally sitting there eating loads of chocolate <laughs> and pizza if you're tired as well. Exactly. Trying to stay up at 2 a.m. to finish totally. some, something on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, so true. Um, so before you go, which are your top sleep supplements then? Because you did touch on that. Share, because it's uh, people always love to know. Uh, mine, yeah, mine definitely. CBD oil has been a life changer for me. Absolute right. life changer. Has it? Oh. It didn't change that much for me. And I think I should try it again. It just never really, I didn't notice a big difference. Oh, not even, not even a, in terms of quality, the, the, nothing touches CBD oil in terms of the impact it's had in my life. Like that, when I think of life-changing supplements, I think of, a, of an extra strength probiotic, which helped my digestion as someone who's had a history of stomach issues um, and CBD. Like they're the two. Is there a CBD that you Yeah, use? I use the, the Hemp Heroes one, uh, the extra strength Hemp Heroes one. Really, really good. Um, Life-changing. Like literally went from being struggling to fall asleep and stay asleep, regardless of what I did, to being out for the count, you know, regularly. I now I have try to try this. Yeah, my aura. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like unbelievable in terms of, of the change for me. So CBD oil for sure. Um, and then the one that I come back to mostly, most often now I have several in the book. I have magnesium in there, which I'm a big fan of. I've got yeah. GABA in there, which I was hesitant to put in because the research is very mixed on GABA, but I use it and like it and found it worked well. So I have that with an asterisk as the, one of the sleep supplement recommendations in the book. Um, but the other one is theanine. So L-theanine, oh, big, yeah. big fan of that in terms of just oh, calming my central nervous system. You know, I did experiment with other ones like 5-HTP, you know, crosses the blood brain barrier. Um, but I, I always come back to the foundations. Like my current sleep stack is CBD oil, 
magnesium and L-theanine. And I kind of rotate the dosage based on, you know, how much sleep I need or how much I'm going to get. I don't take them at the weekends. I kind of cycle off them at the weekends, just what works for me. Um, but yeah, they're the ones that I use. Again, I follow yours as well. I've, I've, I've got in a couple with the, um, was it the lion's mane or foot? Oh, the mushrooms, yeah, yeah, the child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, take, taking those in little, yeah. little, um, closer to bed, yeah. Um, which which make, um, it's all these things. Like I'm always trying to optimize that. I know it's the foundation of your program as well, very similar to mine. Always trying to optimize that. But the biggest one that's yielded the bang for the buck for me has it's been the CBD oil by a stretch. And then probably magnesium after that, which I think overall works well because majority of people are magnesium deficient in the Western world. Not everybody, yeah. but, a, but a majority. Um, and then I like L-theanine as well. Um, and I rotate that with GABA. Again, hesitant to recommend GABA. I was even hesitant to put it in the book because of the research, but I do find anecdotally that it works really well. So I do include it. I sometimes, what I'll do actually is take some taurine, which is a precursor to GABA. Mm. And I'll take like three grams of taurine mixed with some magnesium. I was taking for a bit uh, CBD mixed with NAD intranasally, mm. um, which is quite interesting. I didn't see a huge benefit. I'm going to try CBD again. It's been a while. So I think I could actually now legitimately test it, you know, because I, I can see where my sleep is now and actually just add that one thing in and see what happens. I'm keen to go. So I'll try, I'll try the one you recommend. Oh, yeah, see, I do. I, 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 yeah, because with CBD, I had tried CBD before Hemp Heroes. Because I remember they messaged me because you know this, Angela. When you've got any sort of following online, people are like, and oh, everyone seems to have everyone seems to have a fucking <laughs> CBD company. They're like, I'm a CBD company. I'm like, see, well, I was just like, I don't want it. It didn't doesn't work for me. But they sent me out, and David gave me advice. One of the the co-founders of of, of Hemp Heroes, and it was really good advice. He was like. CBD is a little bit like a light switch supplement, meaning that it doesn't work at all for several days. And then as if someone flicked a light switch, it works, which I think gave me enough of a runway of time. I found it was about five days. And when it was in my system and, and after day five and six, it was just like out for the count lights. Whereas I think, I don't think I gave it enough runway of time before. So he gave me that piece of advice. And he also talked about the dosage being so important, which obviously makes sense that everyone's going to have such an individual very busy on dose based on their weight and their tolerance, et cetera. Like if you're someone who smokes a lot of weed, you're going to have a very different tolerance to someone who's, who's never smoked in their life because you're, you're CBD. You're just, you're going to have a different tolerance level, which I never really thought about either. You know, I'm not a big smoker, but I, I was when I was living in California back in fuck 12 years ago, 13 years ago. So my body was obviously used to it. So I had to go a little bit higher with the dose initially. And even though it's been years since I smoke, it's not my thing. Again, each to their own, do, do what you want to do. It's just not my area or my thing I focus on. But I think I didn't know that information coming into my CBD consumption. And as a result, I didn't probably give it the respect it deserved at the beginning. And then when I met David in 2018, I've been using it since 2018. Um, it completely flipped me on it to the point now that I've recommended it to so many people just because it had such a life-changing benefit for me. Interesting. I'm going to give it a go. Here we go. CBD. That's my my new thing to try. Because as I say, it didn't work last time, but it could be that I wasn't dosing it uh, quite correctly. Not that, not that I'm a pothead or anything, but maybe I just wasn't giving Each myself enough. It's their own enough. creativity. Yeah, it totally works. <laughs> just... I perhaps wasn't giving myself enough. Um, amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all that. You've been super generous with your time. Where can people buy the book, Brian? Is oh, it I think it's everywhere. Uh, it is everywhere. And thank you so much, Angela. I actually, I love our conversations. We were chatting. We're literally like, what, two? hours in now because we were chatting for ages before <laughs> we went on air as well um but the book um, everywhere books are found so not sure what the story is with all the stores in the uk it's been a while since i lived in the uk um but 
everywhere online should be in all the stores as well. Anyone goes in the keen edge mastering the mindset for real lasting fat loss. Um, and if it's something that you think will benefit you, definitely go check it out. Amazing. We will link to that into the show notes. Um, and also to you, you're really active on social. If anyone wants workout tips, you're always sharing videos there. That's Brian Keen, isn't it? On social. Yeah. Brian, um, Brian Keen, uh, Brian Keen fitness on most things. So Brian underscore Keen underscore fitness on Instagram. Those underscores kill people. So I uh, chuck them in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. We will link to all of that. Thanks so much. Um, really, really fun uh, chatting again. Thank you so much again. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. As always, the show notes will be over on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com forward slash podcast. And you can download the transcript there together with the show notes and all of the other resources that I have on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.